Welcome to the future of education. And now, here's your host, Michael Horn. Welcome to the future of education, where we are dedicated to building a world in which all individuals can build their passions, fulfill their human potential and live a life of purpose, something we are clearly not living up to today. And to help us unpack some of that and perhaps present a brighter picture of what the future could be uh, is my longtime friend in the space, Ryan Craig. Ryan is the author of a new book, Apprentice Nation how the earn and learn alternative to higher education will create a stronger and fairer America. Ryan, first, it's good to see you. Welcome. Hey, good to see you. Yeah, I love it because you've got your book right here on the shelf. It's uh, not just collecting dust. It's actually prominently displayed. I'll leave it up there for folks as well but uh, so that they can see. But you wrote this great, entertaining book. But I, I'd love you to actually take a step back because people who don't know you know, you, you've obviously led a private equity firm in education, Achieve Partners, formerly University Ventures Fund for years. You've, I, I want to sort of get a sense of the plot also, because in your book career, which is you, your, your other part of your uh, identity, you have three books, you've gone from sort of the great unbundling of higher ed to faster and cheaper alternatives to higher ed. And now your latest book is the Earn and Learn Alternative so I, I'd love you to just to sort of step back and take us through your own journey and arc to this point, like, you know, the problem that you're trying to solve for, why the iterations and, and why landing at the moment with apprenticeships. This is the last book in the trilogy. So this is the book where we defeat Sauron. Yes. Uh, very excited for that. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been a journey for sure. I started my career 25 years ago uh, working for a hard charging uh, executive vice provost at Columbia University named Michael Crow, and the the effort there was to try to uh, do innovative things uh, online uh, with you know the most traditional uh, universities, and have gone from there to building large online universities and you know helping to build all sorts of innovative uh, companies that partner with uh, universities to help them do. Uh, any number of things, uh, but really sort of post Great Recession, looking at the um, employment uh, numbers that uh, we were seeing for uh, for new graduates, recent graduates, just, you know, surprisingly stubborn uh, underemployment, uh, unemployment, and then obviously coupled with uh, an affordability crisis that continues to this day to the point that the you know, only uh, major narrative in uh, federal higher education policy over the last two and a half years has been loan forgiveness, which is a completely backwards-looking policy, not 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 forward-looking. And so, uh, I and and my firm began to focus more and more on uh, the employment side, uh, moving to um, uh, alternative pathways to employment boot camps. And that was the sort of second book, a, a new you, uh, faster and cheaper alternatives to college. And that, that book is kind of a guided tour of these new, new alternative pathways to, uh, getting a good first job. Uh, and in that book, you know, we, I, I talked a little bit about apprenticeship, uh, but in that, in the, in the five years since it's become clear to me 
that uh, there are so many, there are hundreds of sectors uh, in the economy where there are massive talent gaps, where employers cannot find talent. In fact, they aren't, aren't hiring uh, talent. And, you know, conversely, uh, young people who are seeking to launch careers just cannot, cannot find a way in. Effectively, we don't have these these pathways, and that's a, that's a result of a skills gap uh, where colleges and universities just aren't training, uh, aren't providing education or training on the specific skills that employers are seeking. Uh, primarily, digital skills, platform skills, and the sort of business knowledge um, that they're they're expecting. I, you know, in the book, I talk about how a college degree, uh, you know, back you know fifty years ago. Uh, was pretty much all you needed uh, to get a, a good first job because employ- you know, think of uh, Don Draper and Mad Men. That Maverick has like, what did you actually need <laughs> to be hired there? Well, that's a big. You question. needed that. <laughs> yeah, you needed the macro credential. You needed the ability to survive a three martini lunch with Don Draper. You needed to kind of go along this, get along this uh, ability that you know you, you kind of can get from college experience, but no, no specific skills. Um, so college is still doing a good job preparing young people for jobs, but they're the jobs of the 20th century, not the 21st century. So, you know, 21st century entry level jobs are asking for discrete combinations of technical skills, platform skills, business knowledge uh, that, you know, makes it makes it very difficult. And on top of that, you have this experience gap, which is growing, which I think is best illustrated in cybersecurity, where you know, entry-level jobs now uh, in cybersecurity ask for certifications that require three years experience. So how do you solve that riddle? Um, that's, a, you know, um, and, and AI is going to make it worse uh, because uh, think about your first good job. I think back to mine, easily half of the, uh, half, of, half of my time was spent doing menial grunt work as I was kind of learning what the heck I was supposed to be doing. Um, and that was kind of the bargain uh, that you made with your employers. But that bargain is going to be broken because employers are soon going to expect that all of that work is going to be done. All that menial grunt work is going to be done by AI. And they're going to expect their entry-level workers to be doing higher value work from the get-go. And that higher value work is not going to be possible without having some real experience uh, in the space. It's just, it, it just not. So basically, all jobs are going to go the way of cybersecurity jobs where you just... You know, there is an entry level job is kind of an oxymoron. Uh, and so the only answer, therefore, uh, has to be that we, we need to be able to build experience, real relevant work experience uh, into the educational pathway. Um, so by the time you're trying to, you know, to get that good first job, you have you have real relevant experience in the field you're trying to to get. And, you know, one way is internships. Um, uh, Internship is, uh, you know, real work experience, but you're, that you're doing for a limited period of time as part of a uh, academic uh, program or during your academic uh, program. Another way is uh, work integrated learning, uh, which is uh, you're, you're integrating real projects from real employers into coursework, probably as capstone projects. Uh, over the course of your uh, of, 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 of your degree program, um, but. Uh, the gold standard, the best way to do it is an apprenticeship uh, because an apprenticeship uh, by definition uh, is a job. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a full-time job uh, with built-in training and career pathways. Uh, and so I, I think that 
uh, the way most people, most young people, whether they be out of high school, out of community colleges, uh, out of bachelor degree programs, or out of graduate and professional programs, will launch their careers in a decade, uh, will be through some kind of apprenticeship uh, program. Uh, they're, they're, you're going to need it. And the question is, well, how do we build? Uh, for, first of all, do we have the apprenticeship infrastructure today to do that? Uh, and the answer, not surprisingly, is no, not even close. Uh, and then the question becomes, well, how do we build it? Uh, how do we do it? And that's really what the, the book is about. And then the book goes on to talk about, you know, what, what the country will look like uh, when we do have that uh, apprenticeship infrastructure. Yeah. So let, let, let's go a little bit deeper first on the apprenticeship piece and what is an apprentice, because there's sort of a back to the future element uh, of it, which, frankly, this is me for a second. I think of that more broadly as like the history of uh, or the journey of education reform that we're on, right? We've gone to one to many classrooms from the one who has schoolhouse and tutoring. We need to go back to that sort of personalization. Apprenticeships went out of vogue. They should come back into vogue. You can sort of tell this narrative around a lot. But w what is an apprentice and what are some of the big misconceptions around I, in in the book, you list some of the fields that people stereotype as being apprenticeship heavy, but sort of broadly speaking, what are some of those misconceptions about what is an apprentice? Yeah, sure. Um, so you're absolutely right. It's back to the future. Uh, you know, Paul Revere was an apprentice. George Washington was an apprentice. Ben Franklin was an apprentice. Um, but it's 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 you know it's been a while, right? It's been a minute. We've <laughs> we've been sort of on this college for all journey really since World War. World War II, uh, and really since the 60s, uh, college has been the only uh, socially acceptable pathway to economic mobility uh, in this uh, in in this country. So, um, but you know, there 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 are, um, and so 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 we've spent that uh, that time investing in establishing this vast uh, post secondary education infrastructure. Uh, which I, you know, I sometimes call a tuition-based, debt-based uh, infrastructure, as opposed to an earn and learn uh, infrastructure. Um, and what's fascinating is you look at other countries; um, they have a much more balanced uh, approach. Um, you can have a there's a tuition-based pathway, and then there's an earn and learn pathway. We we really don't don't have that. Uh, one one reason, as you say, are the misconceptions. Uh, one big one. Uh, is that uh, apprenticeship is for plumbers and welders and roofers. Uh, and that is uh, true uh, insofar as 70% of the current uh, apprentices in the U.S. are in the construction trades. Uh, so we are, <laughs> we are it's, the one, it's the one sector of apprenticeship that's thriving and has been, been thriving. Um, so so, so, so it's, not, it's not wrong. But the point is that apprenticeship will work and work very well uh, in Tech and financial services and healthcare and logistics and other countries have proven uh, that, it, that it that it does. Uh, the other big misconception is that uh, an apprenticeship is somehow just like any other training program or educational program. It is not. Uh, an apprenticeship is a job. Uh, it's a full time job, which means there's an employer that is hiring uh, the apprentice. That's how an apprenticeship starts. An employer is willing to hire an apprentice, which is uh, not as easy as it sounds because an apprentice, by definition, is someone who doesn't know how to do the job yet, right? Doesn't have the skills to do the job. Uh, most employers uh, today, that, that's anathema, right, uh, to them. They, they want someone who's going to be productive uh, from day one. Uh, so that's the, the rub there. And 
The challenge is that most uh, of the people who are focused on uh, apprenticeship and these issues come out of the world of education and training and think of it like any other education or training program. There's an education, uh, there's a training element of it. There's a there's an on-the-job training element. There's a, a formal classroom or what's called related technical instruction element of it. Uh, but, uh, you know, you got to put the job horse before the uh, training cart here. This is a job and the hard part and what, how you build the infrastructure is, how you, is you have to figure out how you're going to incentivize uh, employers to hire workers who are, by definition, going to be unproductive for 3, 6, 12, 18 months. Not easy to do. Other countries have figured it out. I want to go to the what, what, what the incentives look like in a moment, but I want to stick with this point that you just made uh, around other countries doing it well right now. And, and you made this really, I think, uh, compelling point about how it's different from sort of an education first program. This starts with the job. It's not like a nine week internship or something like that. This is a, you know, it's a job. It's maybe it's a couple years, but it's, it's sort of undefined time often. Right. And then, as you said, it's on the job training. So the education component fits into the job as opposed to the way internship or projects work, which is the learning by doing fitting into the education. So it really flips that around. And then you you talk in the book a lot about how the model for where the United States should be going should be much more like the United Kingdom or Australia rather than, say, Germany, which is everyone's you know, I mean, apprenticeships, Germany, right? Like comes to mind. Um, help, help, help us understand this and unpack it and, and why America is so far behind. Well, you can include Germany in that, all of those other countries. Yeah. Look, if I had a nickel for every time I, I read a, an article about some, uh, you know, state junket going over to Germany to eat the schnitzel and drink the Riesling, I'd be able to afford a few bottles of Riesling. Um <laughs> That's it. They, they, they go over there and uh, Germany is, um, you know, it's worth looking at uh, because in terms of, of, of apprentices as a percentage of the workforce, we're at 0.3%. Uh, Germany is 15 times better uh, than us uh, in that. So they're at about 4.5% uh, apprentices as a percentage of the workforce. So uh, worth, worth looking at, uh, but uh, impossible to emulate <laughs> what they've done. And, and here's why. Uh, so the, the the first lesson is that um, Germany is is not successful because BMW and Adidas uh, are more benevolent uh, or farsighted uh, than U.S. employers. Uh, they're just as you know uh, focused on the near term and the next quarter uh, and on ensuring that they've got productive employees as U.S. Uh, U.S. employers. Uh, and you know, in, so n nowhere. Uh, is uh, apprenticeship flourishing because uh, employers, uh, by and large, are creating uh, apprenticeships or hiring apprentices themselves. Uh, apprentice, apprenticeships flourish because there are what we call intermediaries uh, who do the heavy lifting of setting up and running these programs. Uh, and that's sort of a hard thing to fathom. Uh, but, uh, you know, they can be you know, for-profit companies. They can be nonprofit organizations. They can be public agencies, they can be unions. Uh, but what they do is uh, intermediaries perform one or more of the functions that an employer would need to perform were they to set up and run their own apprenticeship program. So it's essentially doing the heavy lifting for the employer. Uh, the, the, the heaviest lift, of course, as I, as I said, is 
hiring and paying this unproductive worker uh, for a period of time. Uh, in the U.S., uh, in the construction trades, it's unions, uh, for the most part, who are doing that heavy lifting of setting up and running these apprenticeship uh, programs uh, in plumbing and welding and roofing and so forth. Uh, in Germany, uh, it's uh, these powerful, large chambers of commerce uh, who do that uh, in conjunction with unions. Uh, and in fact, uh, their role, both of their roles uh, in setting up and running apprenticeship programs for employers is actually written into law. So uh, that's one thing that we're not going to replicate here. The other thing we're not going to replicate here is that we don't have that same sort of chamber of commerce apparatus. So for example, in Munich, there are 400,000 members of the Munich Chamber of Commerce. Why? Because if you're a sole proprietor in Munich, you are required by law to join the Munich Chamber of Commerce. And therefore, you're subject to everything the Chamber of Commerce uh, wants you to do, uh, like uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, participating in their apprenticeship uh, program. So it's it's just it's not it's not replicable uh, what 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 they're doing. Uh, it's interesting, but the principle of it is uh, you know who are the intermediaries uh, that we can incentivize? We're not. It's not going to be chambers of commerce. We don't have them. Uh, it's not going to be unions in tech and financial services and healthcare. Um, who could it be? Uh, so, you know, 20, 30 years ago, the UK and Australia were very similar to the US uh, on apprenticeship. They had small apprenticeship sectors, almost all in construction. And today, those countries are eight times better than we are uh, on apprenticeship. So if we're at 0.3, they're at, you know, 2.4 uh, uh, as a 2.4% of the, of the workforce. <clears throat> How did they do it? Uh, well, they, they recognized uh, that they needed to uh, incentivize intermediaries uh, to do this, do this work, and they funded it. They did it in a couple ways. One is they funded the training component of the apprenticeship, uh, in some cases overfunded it. Uh, so they would incentivize training companies, um, staffing companies to get into the business of setting up and running apprenticeship programs, and most, most important, knocking on the doors of employers offering to set up and run these programs for them. Uh, in the UK today, uh, there are about 1,200 intermediaries, um, which, you know, based on the US economy, would translate into something like 8,000 uh, intermediaries in the US today. We have about 150 uh, in the US today, so a fraction of what we, what we need. The other thing the UK did was um, uh, pay for performance or you know, formula-based funding for apprenticeship intermediaries. For every apprentice uh, hired and trained and placed, uh, these intermediaries would get paid. Uh, we don't have that kind of funding at all in the US. Uh, so uh, Australia is a very similar story. Uh, and um, you know, the result is, is, uh, is, is similar. Uh, so so you know, we, we, we um, two lessons from that. One is that we have not been funding nearly enough. If you actually compare the amount we spend year over year on the post-secondary education or tuition-based, debt-based infrastructure that we have to what we're spending on earn and learn apprenticeship infrastructure. Uh, it's $500 billion annually uh, for uh, uh, tuition-based uh, and under $400 million for earn and learn. So over a thousand to one ratio. If you compare how much public support and a given uh, apprentice receives relative to a given college student. Uh, so total federal and state tax dollars. For every dollar that apprentice receives, it's, it's $50 uh, 
for the college student. So I don't know whether the right ratio is one to one, two to one, five to one, or 10 to one, but it sure ain't 50 to one or a thousand to one. So we've been, we haven't been funding it nearly enough. Uh, and then the other point is that we've been funding it wrong uh, because to the extent we've been funding it, the Department of Labor in Washington has been giving out grants, trying to essentially pick winners among intermediaries. Say, oh, we think this intermediary will, you know, develop, uh, you know, a successful apprenticeship program. The problem is who's applying for those grants? Mostly community colleges and workforce boards who on a scale of intermediaries are only are really only doing a handful of things, what, what I call low intervention intermediaries, as opposed to high intervention intermediaries that would be turnkey, like the ones we see in the UK and Australia, uh, including critically employing that apprentice and paying their wage until they become productive. So in the US, uh, 90% of, the, of these grants have gone to community colleges and workforce boards who are doing a couple of things. Uh, they're developing curriculum uh, for the hypothetical apprenticeship program. They're registering the program and maybe, maybe they're buying some equipment that they can use in the, in, in the college. And they're kind of sitting on their hands, waiting for an employer to come along and asking them to use their curriculum for their apprenticeship program. But that's not how apprenticeship programs scale. Uh, employers aren't going to come knocking on the community college door. Uh, the intermediary needs to go knocking on the employer door, offering to set up and run the program and make it uh, seamless or almost turnkey. Uh, for the for the employer, that's what we've seen in the UK. To the point that in the UK, you won't find a larger mid-sized company that hasn't been approached by half a dozen apprenticeship intermediaries. They know what this is, so if they haven't launched an apprenticeship program, they've at least considered it at this point. In the US, you'd be hard pressed to find any employer that's been approached by an apprenticeship intermediary. Right, and I, I just want to stay on this high versus low intervention um, uh, apprenticeship intermediary because it's a major point in your book. Um, and it, it strikes me that I, I left the book feeling like the, the low intervention intermediaries, in effect, they're not I, outside of registering the apprenticeship. They're not really offering apprenticeships. What they're doing is giving the education program and hoping that they find an employer who will offer the apprenticeship uh, in reality, and then they'll sort of come alongside them and grease the wheels, if you will, to make it registered and so forth. But they're really just still providing education, whereas it struck me that the high intervention intermediaries, they were the apprenticeship. Like they are hiring the people. They are, yes, they're also registering it, but they're, you know, essentially they're acting as a temp agency in a lot of cases it, yeah. in partnership with the employer. So I don't know. It, it, am I off on my... Yeah, reward? no, that's the... Here's the scale. You, you hit, hit the nail on the head and here's the scale of the problem. So for the, um, for the directory in the back of the book, there's a directory of uh, apprenticeship programs outside the construction trades, not to diminish the apprenticeships in construction. They're great. But the whole point of the book is that apprenticeship is should be beneficial and needed outside uh, construction across the economy. So we looked at all the apprenticeship programs listed in the Department of Labor, uh, what's called the RAPIDS database, which is the database listing all registered apprenticeship programs. So there's 6,000 of them outside construction. How many of those 6,000 programs are actual real apprenticeship programs where you could get hired tomorrow as an apprentice, as opposed to what I call paper apprenticeship programs, which are apprenticeship programs that exist on paper. There's curriculum. They've been registered. There's no one actually hiring apprentices. So of the, of the 6,000 listed, 200 are real, 5,800 are paper apprenticeships. Wow. 
That, yeah. That's a daunting ratio. Okay, so let's get into the policy piece of this. Um, because you just made the point that we've underfunded it, but not just that, that we actually have to, rather than grant funding, uh, which is sort of your classic input-based subsidization sort of. Yeah, I mean, imagine if we, imagine if we grant funded college. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then basically, you know, grants to, you know, a hundred colleges and everyone else had to kind of make, make do as opposed to what we do in college and how we've built this massive post-secondary education infrastructure, which is formula-based funding. The funding flows with the student. But you're saying so something else additional here, which is it should be funding based on the outcome per the individual because you actually you have a performance component if you're like that it results in a job if I'm understanding correctly. Well, again, but it has to be because an apprenticeship is a job is a from job. day one. Yeah, yeah, okay. Doesn't, the training doesn't start until you're hired, right? Yep. That's not a if 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 you're in a training program and you're not being paid or receiving a W two, it's not an apprenticeship program. It might be a pre apprenticeship program. Which is, I guess, a, I guess a thing. <laughs> it's a pathway leading to a job. But the moment you get hired uh, uh, is is the moment that your apprenticeship uh, will start. So I I want to unpack this payment piece a little bit more though, because you make the point in the book that employers, despite many people's beliefs, uh, are not job agencies. That's not their job. Their job is to you know, create something of a value for people that they buy. Uh, and then that returns value to those who have put up the capital, right, for the business to begin with, presumably. Yeah, I even in, in the book, I start talking about employers, then I correct myself saying, well, let's stop, let's stop talking about them as employers, because that's not, not how they think. Yeah, that's not how they mm -hmm. think about themselves, right? Yeah. Like, if they can reduce their human capital and, and deliver the same service, that's a win for them. So, uh, so then you have this high intervention inter intermediary coming along and saying, we'll take some of the risk off of you as the company, right? And we'll hire. And there's some reduction of risk there and, and creates this try before you buy scenario, right? Because then the company, I'll change the language uh, to your point, can hire the apprentices that were uh, productive by the end of a, a, a couple year program uh, into the company. So it, it, tell us more about what the government money would actually fund Besides the fact that I guess you know these high inter intervention intermediaries are not coming along, and there's obviously like an inequality right in the amount of money that Title IV accredited colleges get versus apprenticeships, sure. which is basically none. And I, I guess the question I'm asking is like, would the would the problem be equally fixed if we just took money away from the colleges and you're saying, well, that's nice, but it's never going to happen. So that's why we need to fund apprenticeships. Or is there something more fundamental going on? Look, I think I think apprenticeships about to have a moment in this country and we're seeing massive growth uh, already in the absence of uh, public support for it. I mean, my firm, uh, as you know, Achieve, Achieve Partners, uh, our workforce fund, uh, what we do is we uh, buy uh, business services companies in sectors where there's a massive talent gap, uh, like uh, cybersecurity, uh, healthcare IT, Salesforce, Workday, and we build large apprenticeship programs uh, in these companies so they become talent engines for their sectors. And in 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 sort of high value sectors where the talent gap is already is 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 massive, uh, you can do it without a subsidy. Absolutely, we've proven that it's you know it's 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 great. We're doing we're doing very well uh, with it, uh, but the number of fields where there is a, a talent gap, um, where uh, you, you you know you, you require uh, a subsidy to make it work, is much larger 
Um, so there's only a, only a fraction. We're kind of skimming <laughs> uh, the the, uh, the the highest value opportunities here. Uh, but uh, most fields would actually really benefit from having uh, a program. And the only way you can you, you make it happen is by incentivizing uh, a well-positioned intermediary, be it a staffing company, a nonprofit, industry industry association, to actually build that infrastructure uh, that's necessary uh, to get these apprenticeship programs started. So that's how you do it. The, the, the subsidy is never going to pay for the whole thing. It's certainly not going to ever pay for the apprentice's wages. That's not the intention. Uh, the companies obviously are going to have skin in the game, whether the employer is the intermediary or the end employer. The point is, you really incentivize, you, you, you begin to uh, uh, you know, get the flywheel spinning on this apprenticeship infrastructure uh, that's needed by bringing you know, big staffing companies like ADECO and Allegis and Manpower, getting them to launch apprenticeship service provider arms, serving their tens of thousands of clients. So they're knocking under, we can do this for you too. Oh, really? What does that involve? Well, here's, we, here's what we do, and you only have to do this. That's interesting. Let's talk about launching an apprenticeship program. That's what needs to happen. Gotcha, gotcha. And so the, the the funding is really helping provide some of the training underlying the job itself. It sounds like, and and for places where the supply demand, if you will, of qualified workers for needed jobs is a little less out of whack, such that maybe companies are just poaching from each other. This sort of or, flywheel, or just simply going. where 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 it's a um, not as high a value Got uh, task. And you know the end employer is not willing to pay more than you know thirty five or forty thousand dollars a year for that entry level worker to start. Uh, you'd never be able to make that work and pay someone a living wage, someone a living wage as an apprentice without a subsidy. That makes sense. Let, let, let me ask you another question because one of my this this is maybe my hobby horse, but everyone talks about skills based hiring, and and as I look at it, one of my big observations is. Outside of the technical skills, and you've mentioned them, the digital skills, et cetera, employers don't really know what critical thinking and communication and all those buzzwords mean. And so when they're talking about this, I'm super skeptical we ever really get to a skills-based hiring of that taxonomy. The thing that sort of made me second guess that, however, was in your book, and I'm going to, I don't have it quite right, but I, I think it was in the UK, there was this job description where it was much more precise than like your average LinkedIn job description around what they were looking for. And my my guess is that the reason that they can do that is because like they're looking at people in the apprenticeship and what they're actually doing and building right. skills for. And then they can just describe like the set of tasks as opposed to skills that they're that they're doing. And then like, hey, this is the job. And so it's much more articulate and then frankly like the apprenticeship providers the high you know the high intervention intermediaries they can come along and be like oh yeah when you're when you're facilitating that or whatever that's called a this skill and that's how we build it I, I, well that's right yeah. you know i mean look uh, american uh, companies uh not employers uh are really good at I'll outsourcing. Get better. i'll get better at that i promise yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're really good at outsourcing and entry-level hiring is a very specific uh skill uh, maybe I shouldn't use the word skill capability uh, that, um, you know, not not every uh, employer is going to be good at. Like, yeah, Google should probably uh, have uh, capabilities in terms of uh, ascertaining, you know, what entry level, you know, programmers, coders should look like. But is Google going to have uh, capability determining what an entry level HR admin uh, looks like? Probably not. 
and so I think intermediaries are going to do a better job uh, of uh, of that. All right. Last question as we wrap up, because I've kept you longer than I promised I would, but it's been an interesting conversation. And I will just tell everyone buy the book because there's like a lot more policy implications and regulations that need to be rethought that are biasing against some smart things and things of that nature in the book. But but the last question on my side is like, I, I'd love you to think about or, or describe maybe what a fairer system ultimately would look like, because it occurs to me that on the individual side, you know, what we call students today, but would be employees, right, in an apprenticeship world, a lot of those individuals like they don't actually know what they want to do. And so the apprenticeship model seems to me works really well for those that have some clarity around what gives them energy, what their skills are, what they're good at, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I'm just sort of curious, like what you think the balance will be? Like, what do you envision? Or is this frankly, like we need K-12 education to do a heck of a lot better job of helping people build uh, senses of what their careers might be yeah. much earlier. And that's like really where this needs to go to, to, to level. Well, let, let, let me, that's a great last question. Let me just start by saying uh, the inequity is a product of what I call uh, asymmetric information uh, where today uh, we have this uh, high school to college to work uh, orthodoxy. Uh, and we're expecting uh, young people prior to getting a good first job, uh, at the age of 18 or 20 or 22, uh, to be making a uh, decision as to what accredited post-secondary institution they should apply to and what program and take on tens or in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loan debt. And we know what the completion rates are. We know what the uh, uh, underemployment rates uh, are. Uh, so we see the outcomes uh, there. And it's a, it's a result of asymmetric information because uh, colleges, if they don't know that Michael Horn applying to this program uh, is not going to achieve uh, a positive outcome, they ought to know because they've seen a hundred of you right. <laughs> come through over the, over the years with your scores and grades and profile and so forth. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like the market for used cars, uh, right? You're like, there's, they, there, and there's, and there's, and then we regulate that for a reason, right? Um, so, uh, you know, how do we solve that? Well, the Biden administration is taking one approach, which is just disclose more, right? Require them or even require students to, you know, sign a, uh, a you know, a waiver saying like, I've been apprised of this and I'm still enrolling in this program. That's one way to do it. A better way, uh, I think is to make sure, or at least give, give students the option rather than the sole option being uh, pay tuition, take on debt. Uh, what if we had as many uh, earn and learn pathways, as many apprenticeship programs as we had large colleges and universities? What if we had as many apprentice jobs uh, as there are seats in freshman colleges and universities? What if, uh, and this has just happened in the UK now, uh, this fall for the first time, uh, when you apply, the, the common app in the UK is called UCAS. Uh, when you log into UCAS, you see apprenticeship programs listed uh, alongside all the university uh, programs that are available. Wow. And so uh, you can imagine uh, in a world like that, uh, you'd have uh, lots, <laughs> lots of more, uh, lot, lots more students uh, pursuing earn and learn pathways uh, where they would uh, be better informed uh, about their interests, their capabilities. Uh, before being asked to make perhaps the biggest investment they're going to make in their life, short of a you know a home, um, I think that's a good idea. 
and and you know and and what and what's the downside of that? The downside is maybe someone pursues an apprenticeship program, works for a couple of years, uh, you know, gets paid, learns their capability, decides they want to do something totally different. Uh, are they uh, are they worse off than they were before? No, but uh, you know, the same thing is probably not true of someone who enrolls in a degree program, takes on fifty thousand dollars of debt, doesn't complete the program. Uh, they are worse off <laughs> than they were before, or even graduates and doesn't, uh, you know, figure out how to get uh, a good, uh, a good job. So I think I think that's that that's the um, equity issue that we're that we're talking about. And a, an apprentice nation is one that really provides choice uh, to you. And that's really what you know. The, the book is really about how we establish a more balanced approach to career launch in this country. Uh, we've had one approach. We are uh, more uh, imbalanced than any other developed country in the world uh, in having this uh, sort of uh, maniacal fo- sole focus on uh, tuition-based, debt-based pathway to getting a good first job. Uh, an apprentice nation would be one where we have a real, uh, a real choice. And again, uh, apprenticeships aren't just for high school grads. There, were, there will be some, uh, but they're going to be for you know, community college grads, college grads, uh, at a professional graduate professional schools, because again, getting a good first job is going to get harder, not easier, uh, as technology and AI develop. Well, this would pay off for students, taxpayers, and society. Maybe not colleges, but that's okay. Well, it's funny you say that. I've been giving talks around the country, and the only challenges I've been getting have been from fact tenured faculty <laughs> at colleges and universities. But I have to say, I mean, politically. This is something that I think Democrats and Republicans can get behind. Well, and, ten- uh, and again, I'm not saying it should be, you know, we should be spending 500 billion a year on it. Uh, but if you look at what the UK uh, has been uh, spending, you know, they, 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 they were at their peak, they were spending, I think, 4 billion uh, a year. So 10 times what we're spending today for an economy, which is one. Significantly smaller. Ourselves. Yeah. 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 Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for writing the book, Apprentice Nation. Everyone check yeah. it out and uh, keep keep uh, pushing, keep creating. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. And we'll be back next time on the Future of Education.